right. Well, welcome back to another episode of Get World Savvy. Last week, we went a bit deeper talking about creator businesses and, and stuff that, you know, influencers and folks on Instagram and TikTok and stuff would would likely enjoy. This week, we want to talk about a different type of business um, and different business ideas that are more focused on hopefully what the world looks like, you know, coming out of the pandemic where we're again, traveling, exploring the world and and uh, looking for new opportunities. And since Ivy, as she mentioned in the, la the last episode, she's in Hawaii, I thought she might be able to take the first uh, cut of some ideas that are more travel related. You want to go first, Ivy? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, I mentioned last episode, I've been in Hawaii for about a month now, and ran into several problems that I think that we can easily build solutions to. I think the first problem that we see now is Hawaii is one of the only places that is open in North America. So everyone's taking vacation right now from the U.S. because traveling domestically is a little bit more open and encouraged versus traveling internationally in terms of safety and health. As well in Canada, no one has any tropical places to go. So everyone's heading also to Hawaii because U.S. and Canada are generally on always pretty good terms, easy to travel between the two countries. And so I got here and realized that every all the prices are super jacked up because there's a huge surge in tourists here. And this is all domestic or within North America. Usually there's a lot of Japanese tourists and they haven't even gotten here yet. And wow. we luckily booked our Airbnb as well as car out two, three months in advance before vaccines actually officially rolled out to the full public. And we got our car. It's a seven seater van for about 60 USD per day. And we already thought that was like fairly expensive. Generally a smaller car I might rent for like $30 a day. That's at least in, I guess, Vegas and Nevada. That's how much I believe I rented for. So $60 is totally reasonable on Turo. And then we have a few other friends coming and they're trying to rent a car and they realize that cars were prices were $200, $250 a day for the smallest, cheapest car, let yeah. alone a nicer car, maybe like a Tesla is renting for, I believe like four or $500 a day mm -hmm. right now. And what people are doing, there's an article about it. And we actually met someone at the airport, this older couple, they're like retired. They rented a U-Haul for two days, two weeks for the first two weeks, oh, wow. hoping that after that, they're going to be able to get a actual car because U-Hauls are cheaper. U-Hauls are more for local people. And then now Hawaiians can't get U-Hauls. But the <laughs> point of this story is that our Turo car owner owns a fleet of eight cars. And what he's trying to do right now is buy up a bunch of cars because he used to be able to break even on a car that's like $8,000, $10,000, let's say, they're already secondhand in a year. Now he's able to break even within a month. Wow. And so he's trying to just build his fleet. And that makes so much sense. So first of all, if this opportunity is wherever you are, I'm even thinking about it. I'm like, how can I manage a fleet of cars remotely in like anywhere where I think tourists will go? I think Hawaii is yeah. a great place to buy out a fleet of cars, hire a manager that that could be because cars are cheaper than homes, right? It's mm -hmm. if you can pay like $8,000, $10,000 and break even in a month, why not? So that's one. But then also thinking locals can't get U-Hauls, but why can't we trade my U-Haul that I rented for your car <laughs> if that's mm. actually what you need? So I think most people don't know or feel like it's too much effort to onboard onto a platform only during demand surges. 
and no one really tracks this, right? So I think that there can easily be just a tracker saying that, hey, there's a huge demand surge. You can make two, 300 off of your car during these months of the year, or if all of a sudden tourists come like after the pandemic, which will be for the next year, then here's the additional income you can make by just renting out your home or like one room in your home or your car. And I think that will yeah. incentivize actually quite a, a bit more people to get on those platforms. And you can actually just charge instead like the platforms who need more cars and more mm. accommodations on the yeah. platform for this service. Interesting. So are you seeing this as like a layer on top of those platforms? So let's say Turo, for example, right? Like you have a service that's checking to see the demand on Turo. And then when that spikes, are you then part of the sourcing new supply? And then you're helping to like, basically kind of aggregate that. And like, is that, are you like the, the Legion service there for Turo to help them source new supply? I, I wouldn't see it as like a service. So how I would go about doing this is maybe initially building a text list or a notification list of some kind, whether email or WhatsApp or text, depending on where you are. And this list is just like, we'll notify you. Like you get to set, set your price of how much, where's your ceiling? Cause at least this is what I assume. This is me. If it was my car, I wouldn't want to, if it was my family car, right? I'm not, I don't own it as a business. I wouldn't want to rent it out. Like there's a certain price point where it's worth the inconvenience on my end because it's going to be so much money to rent it out. So that price range might be higher for people than what is usually listed on Turo itself than what the market rate is. So usually at the market rate, I wouldn't rent out my car, right? But I don't get notified of where that ceiling is. And maybe that ceiling changes depending on the season or depending on what I'm doing. And so sometimes updating the app is a pain. I just want to get notified if this thing happens. And maybe it's not just my car. Maybe it's my home. Maybe it's my boat, my kayak or certain other things that I could rent out. And so like a service where you can list all your things. And then once it hits that price ceiling, it'll just give you a notification of, hey, you can now rent your car for $300 more than what Turo once told your market price rate is, or like the competitive price rate of similar cars, you should go back to Turo and turn your car on mm -hmm. for rent. So I guess just to um, poke at that a bit, like what's stopping in your example, like a family car, right? You don't want to rent it out for anything less than like $300, right? So it's not worth your time unless it's you know, $300 day rate. If you mm -hmm. set that in Turo now, right? It just means that you'd get fewer people wanting that car until there's no, you know, supply left of any other cheaper cars and, and then they'll go with you. So like, what would this service do that's different from that person just already giving their willingness, you know, their- Right. Their I think, I think it might rate. be, it might be dates. So that's like already an inconvenience of like needing to know in advance which dates mm -hmm. my car is available or is it like any date? I don't think there's that kind of flexibility okay. for one. And then also I, I would say like if I put $300 and now it's all good, maybe $300 is no longer the best price to rent my car at, right? If everyone's going for 300 or like all the 300s are going out already, maybe I should be renting it out for 400. So kind of this like price optimization, it, it is a little bit complex and it might require 
someone to do it manually, but I think it's, it might just be worth it to do it manually as like a service and for the service to be able to do not just a car on Turo, because there might be other platforms that might be more worth it for you to rent on such as, I guess, get around or zip car, whatever other yeah. car rental. And then also Airbnb versus Visco, I think is mm-hmm. the other one and yeah. booking. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I, I get it. And I, I like the general idea of this, like one-stop shop for like maximizing your, your assets, right. The monetization of your assets. So if I have a home, if I have a car, if I have a boat and I just want to see like where I should be pricing all these things all at once. I don't think that that service exists. And that's pretty cool because like you said, if you can see the trends and you can see when things are peaking and, and adjusting, you know, your price on those various services at once, it's, it's a very kind of SaaS way of thinking about things, right? Yeah. Like actually, this- if you think about it, it's like an omni-channel management system exactly. yeah. before consumers. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. So- yeah. I don't know of anything like that yet. Yeah. Like, like I, I'm just thinking that like, how do I encourage some of these Hawaiian residents to want to rent out their car because clearly it's such a good deal right now. And there's not enough Ubers or Lyfts on the road either, right? So maybe it's like there is incentive to just drive Uber and Lyft during a certain period of time and hype time. And I imagine like, honestly, like going to your point on Omnichannel, if something like that really took off, it probably is even better for the individual platforms, right? So like if you had someone who's, renting out their home in Airbnb, their car on, you know, Turo, et cetera. Like from a KYC perspective, it probably means that they're better, right? Like they're- they What's KYC? Oh, sorry. Know your, know your customer, oh, right? Okay. So like there's, a, there's an element of kind of validating the, the trustworthiness of that person who has the asset. Mm. Um, assuming if they're renting out multiple assets, they, you know, you have more data on whether or not they've been good tenants or good, you know, asset owners of these various different, different, sorry, like different assets. So I think that that would be an interesting value proposition to the Airbnb or to Turo, et cetera. If, you know, I think right now we're thinking about this as if it's localized, but if you're actually building something that's fairly large, right? Like something that has national scale, for example, then you could also make a value prop to these platforms saying like, we will help you learn more about the people using your your platform because we can see all of the data right like what we're seeing airbnb yeah. turo everything that they're renting which is going to help you better support your customers because you're going to know more about who's selling to those customers right right you become a data service exactly yeah the key here is that it's actually targeting a dem- different demographic i'm thinking about how do i bring people that are on the edge of renting stuff but too lazy to or like mm-hmm. don't want to do it all the time how do you bring them on board but yeah i, yeah, that, I think that's a key problem and yeah exactly and i think with that like you could probably start to figure out in terms of integrations or, or other things if you can make that strong claim then airbnb or Turo, or whoever will want to hear from you because like you said, at this very moment, the supply side is is probably more of a challenge than the demand side because people yeah. want the rooms, people want the cars, but they can't get to them. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Do you yeah. want to talk about Almost camping like travel? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I have this on my list. People started camping for the first time during the pandemic because there's just nothing to do. And we see RV rentals going up um, in price as well as 
more people choosing to travel via car and road domestically. So now there's a lot of new people who are into camping or have tried it out and want to do it again. But some of the most like, in, first of all, campsites, there's a lot in demand campsites. I used to book way far in advance. Yeah. I booked Harvasupai in the Grand Canyon last February last February, this February for, for this March got canceled. So now it's pushed to two years from now. I'm like, I have no idea. Like there are campsites that you will work around. Like you will drop whatever it is because it's so planned so far in advance. You're like, I don't know what my life will look like at that time, but I will be at the campsite. (laughs) Right. So, and that's not the only one to be able to do half dome in Yosemite. And that's just us national parks. And I'm sure there's a ton, especially in the Alps or Patagonia, et cetera, things that you have to book really, really far in advance. And I think that there is probably a new market now for people that used to travel, maybe with traveling agents, and they would get a whole trip planned for them, let's say to Europe, who would like a similar service in getting permits and making sure that they have the right clothing in maybe even renting a backpack or whatever is required because they don't do it that often all done for you from a travel agent's perspective and they this travel agent is just a third party right so they don't have to own the backpacks and the shoes and whatever themselves they just have to reach out to the right rental service that is maybe nearby at the base of whatever that the place is going and so so that's idea one Similarly, on the camping side, because I just think camping will grow, is there's hip camp and a lot of different places for luxury glamping that are more fit for, I would say, young millennials, Gen Z, Instagram crowd again. Um, But also there's not too many tours for them. I'm in, I created an Asian female nomads group, and there's actually quite a few girls who are in their late 20s saying, I just want someone to plan this out for me. I'm going to nomad but I need someone to just find the place in the city and to tell me what to eat and what I need to pack, et cetera. Like, I don't want to do this planning. I see some, a company in Singapore, Himlet, doing something similar, at least focusing on the community aspect so you don't have to make friends. But I see long-term tours like Nomad Year, I believe, or I think it's called Nomad Year, Remote Year. No, Remote Year is one of the only companies doing it for young travelers and that's working travelers. Then there's Facebook groups. I think there's one called Solo Female Traveler Network, something like that. They just have a Facebook group and their main monetization models, they run tours for solo female travelers to travel together. And we see this being a future trend. And along with that, I also think there's opportunity for every kind of retreat out there. (laughs) We see writing retreats, entrepreneurial retreats, yoga retreats, meditation, dance. I don't know. I, don't, I feel like we can see the biology and physics retreats yeah. <laughs> that we talked about in the last episode too. Um, so that yeah, was a lot there. Okay. Yeah. I, there was think? a lot, but it, it's oh uh, exactly, all part of the same theme in terms of like, how can we make, you know, that experience of travel easier, I think is, is the running thread that I saw. You mentioned Hamlet, which is in Singapore. Hamlet, and there's a competitor here called Cove, they're more like short-term leasing, right? Like they're short-term stays, short-term lodging. So, right, if you're someone who's traveling a lot or who's here for a couple of months and you don't want to commit to a 
six month or year long lease and you don't want to stay in a, in a hostel, Hamlet and Cove are kind of like that in between where you're staying long enough where you want to have a community, but not so long that you want to, you know, sign a, a long lease and have like a risk of breaking contract and stuff. I think that this is slightly different because what you mentioned in terms of like travel tours and stuff, I actually get more excited by that because then you're not thinking about like owning a lot of overhead, right? You don't have overhead costs of getting the building and all that type of stuff. You just have to create these very relevant experiences for whoever your target customer yeah. is, right? So it's like if, if you're digital nomad or if you're, you know, some sort of enthusiast, whether it's birding or biology or whatever, right? Probably not birding, but <laughs> whatever. Bird watching. Bird wa yeah, I was, or like I was permaculture bird watching, retreats, but like maybe things that you I, can learn. <laughs> exactly. But like, if we're talking about your, the demographic that you mentioned before, like younger people, I probably wouldn't start with something as obscure. Bird I'd watch. probably start with something <laughs> a bit more of relatable, right? Where it's like, what's something that, that everyone wants to do right around now when they travel that you know, like eating tours. I think you gave the example of eating tours. So it's like, where, where are the right places to go that, you know, I can learn more about this, you know, space that I'm in and have access to all the kind of cool hidden, you know, hole in the wall places that are, that are very unique. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, you could have it. And if it becomes a brand where it's like, you know, you do that for Singapore, but you also do it for, you know, all of Southeast Asia. So if you're, you know, doing a, a regional tour of, Singapore, Bangkok, you know, Jakarta or Bali. And there's one brand that says like, we offer this service where you get an inside look at this sort of thing. I think that that would be really cool. That's actually something that I think I want to do with my life. <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah, that we, awesome. we relied on hostels for a lot of that when we were yeah. younger and willing to live in 20 person dorm room, which I'm not willing to do anymore. But all of a sudden we lose that connection already with uh, more local staff maybe working yeah. at the hostel the young fun environment is something that i miss and i get that i can book a single room in a the hostel but it's still not the same as mm. where i i might want to live now in an airbnb but no i can definitely see that so that's like definitely one demographic with like and mm -hmm. and how would you monetize that like if it's not if you're not actually running the hostel or running this you know the, the living space would people be paying for like an expert on the ground tour? Would they be paying for like an app or, or the community? Yeah, what, what do you think I, I think it'll, it'll probably be more similar to buying like a tour, right? Like how do tours handle living spaces? They partner with like certain hotels to get mm -hmm. deals and then move out. So yeah, I so think- So are you thinking there would actually be like a tour guide then? Like would there be a Yeah, person? I think there should be okay. group- tours or maybe not even one tour guide right there there should be i think there's always a balance right there's some people that like very structured days that's mm -hmm. what i imagined my parents and like grannies from asia sort yeah. of liking or you just like With go like really, really the flag speed. and you're following yeah with an umbrella <laughs> yeah. yes i imagine something similar to that but but i mean like more addressed to a different demographic i mean the way that chinese tours have managed to really hit home with Asian grannies from Korea and China means yeah. that there is an opportunity here for a different demographic of people too, right? It yeah. must be just either the pacing, the stories that they tell, the places that they go, what these people care about are different than our demographic. It doesn't necessarily mean that like tours or a planned itinerary is outdated. Mm -hmm. I think more than them, we don't really have the time or don't want to spend the time to plan 
our own trips. That's why we yeah. hope that one travel influencer, one blog is all that we need to go to and we can just follow their itinerary. So that already exists. But yes, I think there can be different types. There can be a tour that you just go on with that's more adjusted to a certain demographic of people and yeah. you just follow this itinerary. Then there's the option of like, there's a lot of free time and every free time it's like, here are all the options that you can do. And then there's some guided tours of like, let's say you're going to Rome and you probably want some history of the Colosseum and the Roman Forum, but everything else, like here's where you should go for food. You should just go yourself, right? So there's things that you would probably need to find a local guide for anyway that can be taken care of. And then there's the fully like, we'll just handle your accommodations. We'll handle your, like a list of places to go for food that you can kind of adjust, Mm -hmm. but there's nothing else included. I think there can be different tiers. Yeah, true. I like it. Well, I think we are pretty much at time. Should we just call it there and then we'll talk about new ideas? (laughs) Okay. I think this episode is just me, but yes, we'll hear from you next episode. Sounds good. (laughs) All right. See ya.